0: You tasted the rainbow while we talk about in rainbows i'm charlie and i'm Corey. and that was a really um bad joke i'm sorry everyone but uh, uh we are discussing today radio heads in rainbows one of our poll winners it was our first ever tie for a poll we have a freeway time we'll be doing two of those albums uh these coming weeks and the other will be tabled for use at a future date but This was the first winner, and, um, yeah, so a bit of a preamble, this is not our first time covering Radiohead, we discussed Okay Computer back in January, uh, Corey picked that one, as it was a favorite of his, um, high school days, uh, it, it was not one of my favorites, it was actually, (laughs) um, for those who haven't been listening, it was my least favorite album we have discussed on this show, and, uh. That might not be, a, I, that is not a popular opinion, I'm sure, with all of you, because it's often called, well, the best of all time, but, well, not in my book. So, um, yeah, I think earlier,
1: I don't mean to speak for you, but I think earlier on, you are a lover and a connoisseur of the singer-songwriter. And while York may be some aspect of that, he's definitely not your your run-of-the-mill singer-songwriter. Also, he has a very <laughs> what's the way I want to put this a very unique voice and a very unique way of delivering everything from grumbles to falsetto and he doesn't change that much so we'll see we'll see how it go into this one as well
0: yeah th- this is um <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh we, well we are but um you know what it, it was a, i had to be fair listed as an option of having influenced folklore because this album sounds influenced actually not just any song but my favorite song on that album the last great american dynasty so i figure well it's only fair if i give it a chance even though i didn't like okay computer and um it did sound like this would be a different album than okay computer and i can say fairly that it is a different album than okay computer there are definitely some parallels between the two but um it is possible to enjoy one more than the other i definitely think i will say that and
1: and it's a 10 year span um, yes. as far as as far as the band goes you know they're always Bands are always going to have that sound, but yeah, like you said, it, it's a new, a new album. We've had, I think, there was like five albums in between OK Computer and this, something around that. Uh, yeah. There were a bunch.
0: There were but... three albums in between, yes.
1: Three, not okay, counting
0: solo projects and whatnot. That got you
1: got even you. Yeah. more of
0: those. It looks like so. It's definitely a new take. Yeah, no, it was a new take in a lot of ways actually um so for a bit of background uh this was the first album that they released after their contract with their label emi was done which was in 2003 after they released their hail to the thief album and uh during that period afterwards some of the band members really went off and did their solo work as i mentioned and uh, they also were thinking about their next album so the recording for this album began in 2005 actually and they decided to change producers. Um, instead of their longtime guy Niall Goodrick, I hope I pronounced that correctly. I don't think I did. I think
1: it's um, it might be Nigel, but it, you got the no. Point I meant there. the
0: last name. I don't. Oh yeah. I no, I think you got it. I'm sorry. No worries. Uh, anyway, um, so Nigel, he he was not going to be the producer, and there were conflicting reasons for that. Um, band member Ed O'Brien said. They wanted to get out of their comfort zone because they've worked with him a lot, while Colin Greenwood said he was booked up working with other people. Ooh. So, conflicting reasons, who knows the truth? That's always interesting, I think. But um, they went with Spike Stent, who is more known as an engineer, actually, than a producer. And uh, we did discuss some of his engineering work on this show before because... He worked on Gwen Stefani's Love Angel Music Baby. And uh, that's quite different from Radiohead. Um, And uh, just based on that and some of the other credits on his resume, I'm not entirely surprised to see that their collaboration was unsuccessful.
1: (laughs) Um, It's funny you say it because, or I'm glad you say it and touch on it, because I tried to find the real nitty gritty because for me, it seemed like, like you said, he's an engineer and it seemed almost like uh, maybe he knew the guys and they were like, you know what, why don't you just do this for us? And unfortunately, it didn't happen. Whatever it was, it did not happen.
0: Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of clarity on that. If somebody knows more, please let us know. I'd be very interested to hear about that. But just looking at the guy's credits, I mean, it was mentioned um the biggest band he'd probably worked with before Radiohead was U2, and the album he did for them was 1997's Pop. So, not Radiohead at all. That's the album with Disco Tech for the U2 fans out there. Um, Quite a change. Yeah. So, the band actually went on tour in 2006, and premiered some of the new stuff that they were working on during their shows, which was a different approach, too, for a major band to do. And um, Nigel ended up returning, and they did the album, and he was their producer for it. And he just kind of changed how they were going to do it. He decided to transfer their rhythms to a single track so they couldn't be altered, Hole in the Wall a studio called Tottenham House, not even really a studio, but that was where they really started to make the record as we know it. They went to a couple of other locations, including the hospital studio owned by their producer, before going to the band's own Oxfordshire studio in early 2007. And uh, 16 tracks were recorded during these sessions, but actually in a bit of a change, the band decided that they wanted to make a shorter album because they felt the previous one was too long, which um, definitely a change in the digital CD era for sure to have an album with only 10 tracks, not that common. They released the other songs later on, but we won't be discussing them today. (sighs) Cause that's a separate project and there's a lot going on with these 10 songs.
1: Yeah. It definitely wasn't your cookie cutter way to go about anything. Really. You know, you use the words they were trying to get out of their comfort zone. This really was a breakout on all different ways uh, from the comfort zone slash cookie cutter type of thing that that was going on right now, especially by the way they, they wanted to release this album and the price that they put on this album.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) this is possibly what the album is most known for. You could have never heard a note of this album and know about this story like I did. Um, On October 1st, 2007, 10 days before the album's release, this album was announced. And uh, it was to be available as a download uh, that you could pay what you want for, meaning you could get this album for free or you could pay what you want you could pay a buck 10 bucks whatever you wanted and um their way of uh, doing this they felt well everybody can get the album at the same time which was a different idea for it and um they thought maybe they'd be beating the internet leakers out there possibly and um this strategy was pretty controversial some people really loved it and thought it was genius some other people didn't love it and uh the known musicians um jay-z courtney love and bono all thought it was a fantastic idea those were the big names who supported it but it was criticized by acts like trent reznor kim gordon of sonic youth and lily allen
1: which are not names to throw away to the side um, which yeah. leads, you know, on either on either side of that coin, which leads me to the question, what do you think? Do you think it's advantageous as an open door to listeners? Or do you think it's something that could backfire and really turn the industry on its head in, in a negative way?
0: Um, I see both sides of it. I think it's both, if possible. Um, yeah. The criticism that I agree with on the opposing side was actually most summed up by Lily Allen by saying it was arrogant and basically saying not all bands can do that, which is a very valid point. There are bands out there that do have to charge full price for their music. It is their living. It is what they do and not everybody's radio head and is in a position that they're able to do that.
1: Now i I'll counter and play devil's advocate on that. I don't feel like they were trying to make a Tom Petty-esque stance here and say, hey, we want to change the price of every record. Now, nah. I think they were just saying, hey, you know, we want to do this. I find, I mean, now is a different time than 2007, but I find this in a lot of media especially i see this in a lot of indie video game developers and also on uh the dungeons and dragons side of things where people can make stuff and they'll put it up and they say pay what you like where i think it widens their market i don't think it necessarily crushes everybody and says you know i don't think it sets a status quo that's why i think i have to disagree with lily allen and and those guys on the negative side of it
0: at the same time i think it was a uh smart idea. I think it was definitely an experiment to be done. And um, whether it worked or not is certainly up for debate. But what I find interesting is a few years later, Tom York said, I think we might have actually played into the big tech companies by doing that. Yeah. And um, admittedly, though, Spotify didn't exist yet. We didn't know how it would change. And did it really cause a huge shift for the music industry No, not really, because streaming came along. Yeah. Would it have without streaming? It's very possible it may have, but it was certainly a unique idea for the time, and uh, it's definitely something that's gone down into the history books, and I think that's notable, and it's now also been called the first surprise album because of the lack of notice of its release, and... That is a strategy we have seen time and time again.
1: More so even just talking about Taylor uh in yes. the last week, you know, uh, or or Beyonce regardless, the uh the surprise albums. That's pretty wild to see that that's heralded as the first. You are a man of the numbers. And my question here is the gold, platinum, diamond numbers that they didn't get all those, but you know what I'm saying. Those numbers were they from Hard copy record sales, so to speak. How how do you control that if if there's no set price?
0: I'm assuming that those copies that have been that were counted in the certifications. My guess would be that they are from the traditional physical and digital release. Okay. And this actually, um, vinyl certainly wasn't as big 15 years ago as it is now. But this was the best selling vinyl of 2008. Oh yeah. And they, the Radiohead people claimed it had sold 3 million copies worldwide by then. I'm guessing that's counting the free downloads or pay what you want. I couldn't find it. That's why I asked. But yeah, yeah it's a tough number to find. Really, conf- And the band themselves has conflicting accounts from other media outlets. Like, they'll say, well, that was not cracked. Heard. And in that case, it's like, well, who do you believe? Like, I really don't know. I really... It's a bit. This is definitely the hardest to track down right? how much it's sold. Album we ever have done here because regardless,
1: I think they got their. I'll use my one of my new favorite terms. I think they got their flowers for this album. They did, but but I think a lot of people could say, well, you know, could it be this? Could it be that? And and I can't find a true a true means of of stating that. You know,
0: and I don't have any reason to believe they're they're big fans wouldn't have bought the album because the sales figures are pretty consistent, actually, with the prior albums.
1: Agreed, agreed.
0: So I'm thinking that what we've seen reported is mostly the regular retail release would be my guess. And the album itself, it wasn't released until the end of the year for traditional retail, literally the last week of the year when they did that. And uh, the other fun thing about that is... uh, there was a record label change. Yeah. So EMI did want the band back, but they got new management with a marketing firm called Terra Firma. And the radio felt that they weren't music people and that it just wouldn't be good. So they decided not to go with them and signed with XL Recordings. And uh, um, it just started a pretty bitter back and forth. And uh, my favorite part of this is that EMI released a box set of all of Radiohead's previous albums the same week that In Rainbows was released. I love the pettiness of that, not gonna lie.
1: Super petty. It was Terra Firma, and I I could be wrong about this, I thought I read that Terra Firma was actually a subsidiary of EMI, like EMI had bought
0: them. That wasn't quite what I got from it, but... Gotcha. I I could be wrong, I'm not... (laughs)
1: But regardless, that's super petty. We're going to put everything you've ever done up against your new album.
0: Yeah, and they just had conflicting reports. EMI said the band was asking for way too much money. The band was saying they wanted the rights to their back catalog. So two very different things. And um, as we've seen in more recent years, record companies, if they have the rights to the back catalog and it's valuable, they're going to want to hold on to it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I could end up with egg on my face, but Radiohead, from what I know of them or what from what I've learned of them, doesn't necessarily sound like the diva act of the century that's beating up their record label for more money, I'm, in my opinion. May, maybe so, but in my opinion, it seems like it it tracks more with the, the back catalog for me.
0: Yeah, and the back catalog... Is technically worth a lot of money, but they positioned it a different way. Heard um, the EMI people in this dispute, but I am inclined to think that the band just wanted their back catalog,
1: as all bands do. Yeah,
0: they're <laughs> not the first nor the last artist who's had this issue, as we've seen.
1: So, really, uh, another cool point that just touches on the Taylor. Since we're, you know, we're inside yeah. of this folklore month, that's that's cool. I wasn't expecting that one.
0: Yeah, I wasn't either, but another connection there. Who knew there were so many connections between Radiohead and Taylor Swift? Not no me. No one. No one. But amidst all of this, of course, the album did sell, as I said, consistently with what Radiohead had sold before. And like all of their albums, it was critically acclaimed. It won a Grammy for Best Alternative Music Album, like two of their previous albums had. And it's been called one of the greatest of all time. And um, I think, admittedly, any really historic album with this kind of whole release thing automatically puts itself in the history books. And a backstory like that does amp up its legend and the album itself. So the question is, is it quality wise really up there?
1: Ooh, is that our segue into the album here?
0: <laughs> I, I think it is, because I'm curious to see. Let's just say that. I like it. I like it. I, I'm with you,
1: though. It, if you look back and you're learning from an outside perspective, it really looks like everybody said this was the best album of all time. It's like 88 out of 100 Metacritic and, and Rolling Stones doing backflips. So let's see. Let's see how Turntables and Tea feels about this.
0: Yeah, <laughs> So, um, the album begins with a song called 15 Step, and this song features a hand-clap rhythm inspired by the song Fuck the Pain Away by Peaches, and, um, yeah, very stream of consciousness lyrics, not surprising coming from this band, uh, this one took some time to grow on me, I do think it's a cool way to start the album, it's a cool sound, um, I'm glad that it's upbeat musically. I will say that. I think it's good to have an upbeat start to this all. We even have some cheers from school children in it. Uh yeah, cool opener. I still don't love Mr. York's voice, but I like it better than anything on okay computer. I'll say that.
1: Oh, pin that. Pin that because I want to talk about that later. But um, uh, but yeah, what a cool opener. An upbeat, like you said, something you like to see. Uh, opening any album but this one coming at us in in a five four time signature which is for me almost flamenco like in its delivery i like that the claps stay there and and it really reminds me of a flamenco type of feel um it's definitely you say it's a grower but i feel like with the five four time signature it, it takes a second for any listener really to connect with it you know it, it it's almost jarring at first the way that five four treats the ears there I really love that subdued clean guitar just sliding around I think it really mimics the sense of the vocals here just being all over the place real transient vocals and and like you said that that clap track man it really it really keeps it going those kids cheering is is oddly it's just odd for me it's cool but it's sort of creepy <laughs> i mean radiohead does that all the time to me but those kids cheering is is a little creepy one there but yes i love the energy for this opener
0: yes agreed and uh, we're going to actually keep that energy going with our next song body snatchers this is inspired by the victorian ghost stories the separate wives and the feeling of quote your physical consciousness trapped without being able to connect fully with anything else. Unquote. That's comes from Tom York. Um, well, a very interesting concept to write a song about, but a really relatable one, actually. So I like that. We're going with that concept. And, uh, he said it kind of like had some elements of like dodgy hippie rock as he called it. Um, yeah, this one, it's a bit out there, but I do think that it really represents what he's singing about in the song. I have to give this one credit for that. And I like that. It just has that live feel. And in that regard, it reminds me a bit of electioneering from, um, oh, okay. Okay. Computer actually. Yeah. But it's not political. And, um, one thing I'll say now, I am glad that the political lyrics have been toned down here because this isn't just Radiohead. I think many songwriters have an issue where their political songwriting's just too heavy handed. And I think he
1: came maybe afterwards, but I think he was quoted saying like, hey, you know what? I wasn't in the political mindset. This was more of a me. He still lives in these wild fears. It seems like every quote I I read of him, it's talking about either being scared of traffic or being in traffic or not knowing what each day will bring. But that adds a lot to his poetry, I feel like. I'm with you on, on the sound here, though. It has that, I say, European sound. I looked into it more, they said, more of a German rock sound. It sounded to me, and I'm not taking away, I'm just trying to give examples for listeners or, or for our conversation. But it reminded me of Wolf Mother. I don't know if you ever heard Wolf Mother.
0: I haven't it, heard them, but he did state that as an inspiration.
1: Oh, dig oh. it. Even better. That's cool. <laughs> it, it, that, that extra grimy sound on those guitars is really reminiscent of that. I love the way that it it, it sits in here. And then at two minutes, we we get a little switch over to an acoustic an acoustic guitar uh sound with these haunting sounds of of one of the coolest instruments ever. I had to look it up because I wasn't sure what was making this sound, but it's an an antique instrument, an early electric instrument called the Ondes Martinat. It's a mix between... A keyboard and a Fairmont. Okay. And that's where the sounds uh, in the middle of this are coming from. Really unique haunting sounds. So I had to look it up and see what was going on there. But then back to this beautiful heavy vibe. I love the way the snare rim tap drops us off right after we come back to this craziness. Uh, just for a second. And then, and then we get that beautiful guitar in here. Some real powerful mashup guitar one of my notes is chaos is king here for me because the chaos of this of this piece is just so you know we're we're into that body snatching haunting vibe period and I think this composition really hit the nail on the head all over I, I dig
0: this song yeah so do I actually this is definitely a highlight for me so far so we are off to a good start
1: I think this song is single worthy Maybe I'm going a
0: little it, too far. But. It was um, it was t- actually a promo single along with um, House of Cards on this album. Okay, cool. And uh, it I think it charted pretty decently from what I remember on the rock charts. But I would agree with that, and I'm sure it would be a great live song to hear as well. Hell yeah! So uh, yeah, Body Snatchers, um, my favorite Radiohead song so far. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, dig it, dig it. Uh, based on the limited I've heard, but um. We're, we're doing well, but uh, we're actually going back to OK Computer a bit for our next song, which is called Nude. This was first recorded during the sessions for that album, and they tried it out again for Kid A and Hail to the Thief, and they even almost offered it to Elvis Costello, but just couldn't bring themselves to do it. They were too nervous. Heard. Which... Humbles them a bit, I have to say. I like that they were too nervous to give it to another musician. And uh, this song was performed live often, though, during these ensuing 10 years. And it became a really well-known, unreleased song that some fans, I'm sure, were clamoring for to be heard. And uh, to fit this album more, they rearranged it around the new bass line written by Colin Greenwood... And, um, yeah, this does sound like an okay computer song, and as a result, I don't really like it. I think it's supposed to be a dirge, and I think that's the point of the song. Doesn't mean I like listening to it. And as for York's voice, I I tolerate it more than I did before, but not when he sings in the falsetto. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. It still is just not pleasant for me. Um, to listen to. So this one is uh, not one of my favorites on the album and uh, a little bit disappointing after the first two really strong tracks.
1: Yeah, as I grow as a, a listener and a compatriot of you uh, in, in our podcast adventures, there are things that I listen to now and I immediately think of how you would react listening to it. And there is nothing more exact to that example than hearing Tom York falsetto and immediately thinking of how much you would hate it. Uh, so that was that was a, one of the big factors listening to this this time around. Oh. I was like, oof, I guarantee Charlie's not with this. Um, I enjoy this song for a couple different reasons. As a piece that was shelved for so long, I feel like a lot of times we see shelved pieces trying to be stuck in on albums and they don't really they sound very out of place even though this screams 90s radiohead 90s York to me sonically uh, I think that it fit here as far as the movement of the album goes. Um, I really like the cinematic feel that they get inside of this. I I've always dug that radiohead sound that like particular sound that they do. Um, so you know that adds to it. I also really like the way that this piece sort of is nude, there's a lot of nudity musically in this piece, and I enjoy that. Um, it's not my favorite song on the whole entire album, but it definitely gets its point across musically, and it gives me a throwback vibe, a little nostalgia feel listening to it here in that 90s, that 90s York, I'll call it.
0: Very, very interesting. All right. And, um, but the funny thing about this song is this does have a very interesting piece of trivia attached to it. So this song, not the only one on the album, but the band sold the stem tracks of this song. So fans could create their own remixes. Oh, wow. And stems are individualized segments, tracks of a song for those who don't know. And, Those sales counted as single sales for the song. And because of that, the song charted at number 21 in the UK and number 37 on the Hot 100. This made this their second top 40 hit after Creep.
1: So they were selling the stems and that qualified as a single sale? This was a single? This This was the second single.
0: single of the album get
1: out okay I definitely wouldn't have, wouldn't yeah have. <laughs> wow it, okay it's
0: not the album's most streamed or beloved song I heard but it was the second single um wow. but this isn't really a singles band they're they're kind of like a pink floyd in that regard where they're just not a singles band so right. it really is kind of a moot point when we're talking about singles just like frankly it is now I'm not gonna lie it's all Going together in these streaming wars, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, who'd have thought that this would be the one, but it is. Yeah, def- definitely not my choice for a single on this album, but. No, no, a lot of these kind of got like limited releases because, you know, it's Radiohead. They're not a top 40 band, but still, of all the songs, this isn't the one you would have thought. Heard that. Not at all. Um, but we're definitely going to go to a uh, oddball track next. That definitely wouldn't have been a top 40 hit uh, because it's just possibly the most out there on the album. Um, this one is Weird Fishes slash Arpeggie. And the arpeggi is named after arpeggio, which is when chords are played in succession. In this case, it's ascending succession. It just goes up, up, up. And the weird fishes are just a metaphor for loss. It's a metaphor to describe how he feels after a breakup. So I like that we're just going to the relatable breakup. Because, you know, that's one of those themes you can go back to. And um, this is definitely a unique take on that, weird fishes. But um, I think it works. And uh, it was performed with a couple of different orchestras, uh, before it was recorded for the album, so they tried it out. Um, I just love the sound of this song. I think it's so cool what they did with this. That arpeggio is really just, it takes you on a journey, and uh, it kind of works with the sci-fi-ish nature of the lyrics. Even though it's about a real thing, they definitely want to take you to a different place, like... You know, it it sounds like the weird fish is now. It sounds like some weird thing Miley Cyrus might sing about in one of her psychedelic things. But And the lyrics are secondary in this, admittedly, to the music, but they work well with the song. And I think it's a really inventive breakup song. This one was a winner for me.
1: That's super cool because the first of my notes for this is love this sound with two exclamation points because it's really a, a beautiful musical composition uh the arpeggios we talked about for me even though they are ascending uh arpeggios they i got a real vibe of somebody sinking throughout this song all the way Ooh. to the bottom of the ocean and those arpeggios for me they added to the underwater feel but also reminded me of like bubbles traveling away from you. um, His York's overdub of himself throughout is like this weird haunting echo. And that for me also gave this underwater feeling. I, I really, I just love the way this is composed. It almost reminded me of, or it, it actually, I had snapshots in my brain of the Ed Sheeran videos that we were just oh. doing uh, when, when he was underwater. So I, and especially inside of his breakup song, um, those you get these almost bell-like sounds from the guitar and synth and then for me at 342 boom we've hit the bottom of the ocean you were talking about the worms here we're talking about maybe the rock bottom of the of the breakup piece but he'll escape is a sort of a victorious little blurb at the end of it but really such a wild wild composition it just evokes so many feelings. Just I, I, I love the sound of this track. I really do.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely a song where you'll find something new each time you've listened to it, unless That's, you've listened to it like a hundred times, I feel like. It's one of those songs, and that is a compliment in my book. So let's go.
1: A little side note, I found this song in a Spotify playlist called, I think it was Hangover Safe Rock. Or, you know, like, <laughs> like rock that's not gonna crush you the morning after um but this fits this is one of those ones i'd put on cleaning the kitchen or cleaning the house just doing a day-to-day because okay. it's, it's a great listen and you're right there's so much to find here
0: so was that the first time you heard the song in the hangover rock
1: no 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 oh, but it, okay. it was just funny because you know how those algorithms work yeah uh, i was on spotify's main page and it was like playlists you might like it was like hang over safe rock and i clicked on it and boom there it was It's like get out of here man
0: yeah (laughs) because i didn't ask earlier what your reaction was when this all was released if you have one at all
1: nah 2007 like i heard this in passing i don't think i had listened to the album in its entirety until our playthrough here i had heard a a couple of these tracks uh but 2007 you know i there's always that love for radiohead but my my listening uh you know i was jam band scene it up at this point hard yeah. you know so a lot of the uh a lot of the radio or i won't even say radiohead but a lot of the big time releases were lost on me only to be found later on
0: Oh, well fair enough we're yeah we're finding this here today but um we're going to end our i guess first side of the album our first half is going to end with um track number 5 which is all i need um, The musical concept of this song is Johnny Greenwood wanting to generate the sensation of white noise from, quote, a band playing loudly in a room, room when all this chaos kicks up, unquote. And I, I can hear that here. And Tom York even said it was the combination of four different recordings. And so, um, yeah, a bit of a busy song here going on. Um, For me, I would say a lot of it does work but there are elements of it that remind me of what was possibly my least favorite song on okay computer. No surprises. I really didn't, I forgot how much I disliked it until I heard this and I was like, Oh crap. I don't want to <laughs> get reminded of that horrible song that I hated so much, but yeah. And again, the falsettos back here, which I'm not too crazy about either, but, uh, it's better than no surprises I'll give it that but it's definitely not one of my favorites especially after um weird fishes
1: it's a different it's a different song altogether and even though I love the bass synth in the beginning this one took a second to get into for me in my opinion this is as close as you will ever get to York or Radiohead as a unit doing a traditional love song. I think yeah. this this you know like this is this is it. it it's it's almost actually my my final note on this is the radiohead way of love because that, that's the summation of this song for me. I really love the way that this glockenspiel is just so tiny and precise inside of all this chaos but it still rings true. I like to you know how I go out on some some imagination, but I like to think that that is the truth and happiness of the love inside of this, because even when we hit this crescendo where it's just open crash cymbals going, man, this glockenspiel is still holding its own inside of this wild crescendo. So I really, I think that is the the beauty of love, the precise beauty of love from my notes inside of this piece. It's definitely a different piece, and he's definitely back to to that York-ish falsetto vocal. But uh, all in all, I, I enjoy this song.
0: Well, what's funny is you say this is the closest they did to a love song, but here's where it gets funny. Yeah. So they actually made a video for this song, which I have not seen, but it was made um for the MTV Exit campaign okay. in 2009, and the video was not made to bring attention to love. Oh, no, 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 no. It was made to bring attention to human trafficking and modern slavery. Really? Yeah. Well, and... thanks,
1: thanks a lot, Radiohead.
0: For... <laughs> hey, I gotta respect that those are important issues to bring True. light to. True.
1: But not on the love song.
0: <laughs>
1: mm. Oh, a different take. A horse of a different color there.
0: Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, Who the fuck? thought? This isn't the song I would have thought they would have done that with, but you know what? They did it. That's how they do. Clearly, yeah, that is how they do. But we, we got to bring attention to that stuff, I guess, because sadly it is still happening. Heard that. But um, enough talk of that, because that is not what we're here to discuss, because if so, I'll like cry, because it's so horrible to think about. um, let's move it on (laughs) yes and we're moving it on flipping it over to track number six faust arc for those who don't know faust is the name of a man who sold his soul to the devil so uh this is the shortest song on the album it's just a little more than two minutes um uh for me this song is about the orchestration it at times overrides the vocal which i'm sure is intentional uh I don't always love that, but I think it works for this song. Um, or maybe it's just because I don't like the guy's voice. But I I think I'm being legitimate by saying it makes sense here. Um. Yeah, I really don't have as much to say about it. I think it's kind of pretty to listen to. Uh, the lyrics are interesting, but uh, I think it's just too short to be a highlight. I would say if it was extended a bit more, I'd probably think more highly
1: of it yeah for me in the traditional flip over the record sense it almost falls flat a little bit flat for me opening up a side but if you're listening to this album as a full cd um i think this one i'll use the word palette cleanser or just real really a place for the listener to be able to take a breath musically at the very least because of We've had a lot of chaotic sound, a lot of very heavy sound, which we get from Radiohead, but this one really lets us breathe. Um, I took this as almost, and it's very short, like you said, but I took this as almost a love lost here, Uh, a love lost hidden behind some beautifully picked strings. I really like this. Um, The poetry at it, you know, it's, it's beautiful poetry at its core. But like you said, it can be put behind the music a little bit. I wonder if that's intentional. I'm glad to hear you say that you thought it was because I think I actually have that note that the production on this could have been tweaked to put those vocals ahead just a tad, Um, but short enough where it's not something that's going to kill me uh, as far as the album goes. But yes, a, a musical breather here, so to speak.
0: I would agree with that. And uh, we do need that, particularly before our next song. I think it's important we have that because there's a lot going on in track number seven, which is Reckoner. This was first developed when they were working on a song called Feeling Pulled Apart by Horses. Certainly a strange title for a song there, but okay. And kind of funny right after the Preakness too, the run into that, but... <laughs> um, uh, Tom York said that the guitar riff was an homage to John Frushanti of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We've talked about them here before. And he said it was, quote, in my sort of clunky, can't really pick kind of way, which sounds like a very backhanded compliment. And um, I don't like that. Knock all I don't like that. I think that was not a very nice thing to say about Mr. Frushanti, because... He he is a gifted player in his own right, and his music's a lot more fun than um these guys. So I, I
1: didn't even know that was real. I'm shaking my head because I had in my notes there's pieces that remind me of Chili Peppers, and I didn't know that he said that about the Vershanti deal. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a back-ended compliment to Vershanti. That there's a lot of vershanti that is almost unpickable um it's part of his genius inside of his play i would hope it's not i would hope it's not a a backwards take on that especially if you're gonna say that you this is this is an a, you know a shout out to him on that but I that's be- crazy because that's what that's what i had in my notes that there's pieces of the chili peppers in here
0: yeah t- i don't think it's as much fun as the chili peppers though unfortunately um because uh yeah a lot of people seem to have picked this as the highlight of the album. Um, Not for me. I think there's just way too much going on here. It's just too busy. And it doesn't quite come together, in my opinion. And once again, why does anybody like this man's falsetto?
1: <laughs> I knew that was where a lot of this is coming from on you. uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not the track for you.
0: <laughs> I- Maybe... You know who actually I think could do a good job singing these songs possibly and I might like them more? Harry Styles.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. But I can I can hear that that you don't enjoy the way that he, he delivers that falsetto. For me, this is a single-worthy song. Uh, I, oh. and, and in fact my second uh, and I'm sorry and this wasn't a conscious uh, dig to you my second note on this song is I love the falsetto York oh, <laughs> um, but really more so on this one I love the way this beat brings the listener uh, on this we're, we're back on a moving track it feels like after the br- the breath um, of Faust Arp I feel like we're back into moving to what I thought or what I think is going to be our second crescendo of the album. I I I love this song, man. I jam on this. I can see where people can say it's a highlight, especially Radiohead fans. It's not my, it's not my ultimate track on this album, but I, I, I think it's single worthy. I think this should have been out there.
0: All righty then. Uh, <laughs> definitely I, a track we diverge on. They always come up here. Heard that. We're on the. It's like the complete. We switched um, p- uh, opinions, like we did for Gwen Stefani's crash. That's real. That's it's real. A bit of a callback here. Oh boy. That's real, um, but I mean, w- when
1: you have a sound like that, in that you definitely don't dig, I'm. I, I can only respect that. You know, it, it's just what we do here. We listen to it and and give our takes. And your take is the nay no on Tom York's falsetto.
0: <laughs> yes, but uh it fortunately isn't quite as present in our next song which is track number 8 house of cards weirdly not a political song you think that's a perfect political song title con- considering the the US series of this show had not come out yet but it was a British series well before um, it was a Netflix series i
1: you know, we touched on a little bit before, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'll let you go back to the song. but <laughs> I really dig the fact that we're not doing a politically... Oh, so uh, am I. Yeah, like I love that sometimes from them, but this really felt more personal and personable uh, as yes. far as an al- a Radiohead album goes.
0: I don't even always like it when artists that I really like go all Her. political because it's just too heavy-handed and they're not... The best messengers always, I'll say that, but that's getting beside the point here. So we're at House of Cards. This was first performed as an acoustic track by York Solo in 2005, which you can definitely hear that's the backbone of this song. um, And there is a, a bass riff that repeats throughout. I find it a, a bit too redundant and meandering, frankly. I read there was an early version of it where the baseline was more inspired by REM. And um I mean, knowing that, that just made me kind of want to listen to Orange Crush instead of this, not gonna lie, but not so much as a dig against Radiohead, as much as Orange Crush and REM are awesome. But <laughs> oh, yeah. that's a different thing. Um yeah, I just think it's a bit redundant and I feel like some of these themes have already been discussed here. I would say this one kind of, and it, it is, um, I don't know, for me, it's just, this is the longest song on the album, actually. And yep. I think it goes on too long. Yeah, you're coming. I just said
1: out a Reckoner, you know, what I thought was going to be the beginning of the second crescendo of the album and then we go into House of Cards. And while I do enjoy the naked drum again, especially over the synth on this, after what we started in the last song, just on that alone, it doesn't feel like it's in the correct place. I feel like it gets lost. But really, as the song goes on, it just doesn't really seem to go anywhere composition-wise for me. It's very, use the word redundant, and if... Musically, I feel like it's very redundant and not in the good way, not in the super intentional way. Um, Yeah, this one, this one, I actually have to say this is my least favorite track on the album. I think it's a, a bunch of different factors that go into it. And a lot of it for me is where it's placed. But I, I just I don't know. I don't know if there's really any spot on this album for this one, maybe on disc two but that's a, that's a, a a story for another day. Just not for me on this one.
0: Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Didn't, I I would have to say, I can see where you're coming from when it comes to weakest song here, because its main issue is that it's a bit mediocre. Like some of the songs that I don't like, I can tell you what I don't like. This one's just kind of there. Yeah. And that's an issue all to itself. But, um, Uh, You know what? We're not at the end of the album, so hopefully we're going to get better, and uh, I think we do with track number nine, which is Jigsaw Falling Into Place. Great title, by the way, first off. I love that title. Um, Tom York was inspired by just what he observed while going out drinking in Oxford, and he said just there's a darker side to drinking to forget your problems, which... Okay, very true words, first of all, so what a great idea for a song, and I think it works really well here, I like this song a lot, actually, it's not too busy compositionally in comparison to the other songs here, there's still a good bit going on, you can pick out new things each time you hear it, but it's pretty straight ahead, and it's a really universal concept, and I'm really glad that This is on the album. I think it's a really strong penultimate track. And it was even released as the lead single shortly after the album's physical release. And I can definitely see why it was. I think this is totally single worthy, much more so than nude. That's for sure.
1: Yep, I'm with you there. As far as that album goes, we're back on track here. You take House of Cards out and Jigsaw comes right out of Reckoner, we're we're going on the crescendo ride that I thought we were going to be on. I'm almost positive it's Johnny Greenwood that begins this piece, but let me tell you what, this is guitar at its finest here, uh, right at the start of Jigsaw, some of my favorite stuff definitely love i love the way the beat contrasts with the rhythmic delivery of the vocals here too because we're almost at like a spoken word with like a bit of tone but i really dig that for for this one but 257 man is the height of this composition the strings are there and they're taking us guiding us on an emotional roller coaster that really is is just aided by this strong composition i can't I know my my volume goes up when I feel very, very positively about a song, but I cannot say enough good things about this track, especially at the number nine, or especially at the penultimate track. It's just such a heavy, well-done song. Kudos to you guys on this one. Kudos to you, Radiohead. Jigsaw is definitely, definitely a great track.
0: Agreed. Never thought I'd say that for Radiohead now, did (laughs) you? But I liked this one a lot. Hell yeah. Alrighty, and now for our final song on this album, which is Videotape, which I have to say, really ironic title um, for a song on this album, which is so digital in its sound. (laughs) But it's a cool irony. Um, This song was first teased by the band the year before the album was released, and the fan base was quite excited about it, and... uh, The version put on the album was actually more stripped down than the one first leaked, and there's debate as to which one's better. I haven't heard the other one because I didn't want it to cloud my judgment of what we've got here. And I like what we have here. I think it has a beautiful piano line, and I even really like these lyrics. I think this is another really relatable, connectable thought that's delivered well here. And I don't even mind the vocals, so... I mean, hats off here. I I think this is a good um, subtle closer for the album.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I love this as a closer for the album. Um, for some reason, and I it's there, and I I just can't grab it. But it it really is reminiscent of some late experimental Beatles in in its recording for me. But that being said, I I love the way it's composed. The drum drags on, and it's really echoed over and over as this goodbye is trying to be said, but cannot be said inside of the lyrics. I I like the way it, it ends this album in the sense of the final notes. I love the playoff. The song's pretty much done vocally about a minute and a half before the end. And we see this really beautiful playoff with these final notes hitting and they're sticking the landing, but this piano reverb or, this you know the piano leftover uh is just there singing on i think that's a really cool way to end an album especially a radiohead album i i enjoyed this as a closer really neat i almost used the word goodbye which is ironic for the song but (laughs) a neat goodbye for for this album in its entirety
0: yes most definitely and there we have radioheads in rainbows um Wow, quite a journey once again with these boys. Uh, Didn't think we'd be covering them again so soon after the last time, but I'm glad we did. I think this was a cool one to discuss. Uh, What grade do you give this album?
1: This one is a wild one because a lot of the, or I say a wild one for me, because a lot of the grading or a lot of the judgment here really is... On top of or side by side with a lot of the stuff that we talked about in OK Computer in my thoughts, Uh, especially because it's been so close to each other Um, as an album, though, I really enjoy this album. I think that the intricacy of the Radiohead musicians is not lost and even 10 years after OK computer not taking anything away from their other works i think that the evolution shines and it really shines on this album here things and ideas musically that we saw back in 97 here are not necessarily fully fleshed out in the sense that they weren't in their original incarnation but they seem to hit my ears in a very more complete way and for that i really enjoy this as well there's not a lot of downtime on this album whether it be downtime as far as a listener to really compose your thoughts or downtime as a place where i thought there was a bad track really like you guys just heard i only had the one track that i really didn't thought fit this album in its whole, I'm gonna have to give this album a B plus.
0: All right, I am going to give it a C plus. And so for that, for me is high praise because I really didn't enjoy the last radio have we did. There was uh, quite a bit I found to like on this album, um, and possibly I could even find more in repeated listens, which I think is pretty remarkable. Uh, there's just certain elements of this band that I just aren't for me. And uh, it works for a lot of people. And that's fine. I respect that. It's just not going to fully connect with me, I guess. And that's just what I like as a listener. But overall, even though I don't love every song here, I do think this flows as an album really well together. I do think every song has a place, whether I like them or not. And I do have to respect it on backgrounds, even if it's not quite my personal taste.
1: For any of our long-time listeners, for me, there's a there's a hidden A plus in there because Charlie just said that he might go back and listen to this album again. And at the end of OK, Computer, go if you if you aren't a long-time listener, go back and hear how he felt then. Because I don't think I don't think you ever thought you were going to go back to Radiohead. We definitely didn't think we were going to get back I, there so soon. I didn't um, plan on it, um,
0: yeah. and I. Yeah, I, I certainly wasn't, especially, again, because there's a lot of bands we've talked about that have not been repeated here. Um, So, but yeah. uh, I'm not sure we'll be discussing them again for a while because there's also a lot of other stuff we have to discuss. So. No,
1: most definitely. But a shout out to to our fans, to our listeners, to our people, to the Turntable and T-Heads out there because we always talk about you guys making the hard decisions you know, they, they, they took us, they took us down this road again. They said, all right, hit Radiohead again. See how, see how you feel. So I yeah. think, I think it went a, a lot better than, than maybe we would have said right after OK Computer. That being said, what's your favorite track on this bad boy?
0: Weird Fishes Arpeggi.
1: There you go. That's a, that's a hot, solid one. Jigsaw's got to be my, my favorite on this. That's
0: a close second for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely good stuff well thank you guys i mean that being said also happy 50th episode to you sir we we've made it episodes and we can't thank you guys out there uh more than we always do we can't thank you enough um for for taking this adventure with us whether you've been there since first day one or maybe this is your first one with us thank you guys Uh, that your continued support and love keeps us going 50 man i can't believe it. yes
0: 50 episodes and now officially one year wow officially, that's insane to me so much but still so much more to do so be sure to follow us on social media at turntables and tea podcast on facebook and instagram at turntables tea on twitter that's where you'll get updates about all the great stuff that we have coming up for you and of course subscribe wherever you're listening to us because and also leave us a rating that would also be appreciated too nice yeah. review we like nice words so <laughs> there's that but as we said this was a tide poll a freeway tide poll which means that we're going to end our folklore month out with another one of those albums and this one we're going to go back to country which makes sense to wrap up this taylor swift concept month that's where her roots are and uh, it's our second country album. I wasn't sure if we could be doing another one so soon after the last one, but here we are. We will be doing the 2002 album Home by the Dixie Chicks, now just known as the Chicks. Um, it's another album with quite some tea in its promotional cycle. <laughs> and uh, if you know what I'm alluding to, you, you, you know what you're in for with that, but... Um, it's an, um, one I'm actually looking forward to discussing. I actually enjoyed doing the last country album. And it seemed the listeners responded well to Shadaya Tween. So hopefully they'll respond well to the chicks as well.
1: This one is probably outside of my box. As far as Radiohead's outside of your box. But I'm ready to get down on this. I'm, I'm excited to. These are always the cool ones. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited to end the month with this one.
0: Yeah, definitely a different one. But uh, we hope that you all stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, just thank you for joining us on this ride of 50 episodes in one year. Yeah, man. Yes. And also another announcement. Thank you to all of you who made our episode on Ed Sheeran Subtract Now our number one most listened to episode. of uh, That also deserves a shout out. You all are the best. Thank you so much and fortunately, you can stay right at home to listen to us talk about her. Peace!